thousand feet up, breaking all the lights on the doors. And I ain't seen no ceilings. We came in through the top floor. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Three oars rip right round your jugular. Listening to Feminist Killjoys PhD, an hour of feminism, pop culture, and politics is discussed by two professional Killjoys. I'm Rachel. And I'm Melody. And today we'll be talking about Killjoys, specifically being feminist Killjoys and the title of our podcast and what it all means. Uh, we'll also do a check in about what we've been up to this week, and as always, we'll end with what we are reading and what we are listening to. Hi, Melody. Ta-da! Hello. <laughs> Episode Hello. three. Episode three. This is so fun. Lucky number three. You're lucky, listeners, that we even made a podcast this week because um, originally we were just going to sit on Skype Messenger and send each other emojis <laughs> because they have it's the true. best emojis. Yeah, everyone needs to investigate Skype emojis right now because they they're like animated so they move and it's pretty incredible yes um and Rachel you are um particularly really good at internet communication like via gifts and emojis I don't I don't thank you yeah I agree that's really I'm, <laughs> I, I, I think that I am too it's not an accident I'm intentional about sending the perfect emoji I'm also really good at gifts although Mel can you even I don't think I can send you gifts on your phone. Do you get gifts from me ever? Um, GIFs. GIFs, yeah. Um, like via iPhone, like via text message. Via text message. I don't know if you've ever tried. Probably not, though. Yeah, it, that's a bummer. You, it's another reason that you no should have out. a Samsung Galaxy phone and not <laughs> right. an iPhone. Rachel's always like, it's just, you really just should have an iPhone because everybody else has an iPhone in my life. I do. I shame you. Like, Except. In ways like, that I, I, I shouldn't because I totally respect your decision not to. I just, my life would be better if yes. I could send you more gifts. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, thank you. I think I'm really good at the internet too. I think so too. Yeah, you really are. It's, yeah. Anyway. I don't have that skill. So I'll leave that to you. <laughs> oh my goodness. Uh, anyway. uh, oh, I'm really excited about my check-in today. Can I tell you about going club dancing? Please. I can't wait to hear about it. I was so jealous when I saw it on Facebook. Yeah. So in Minneapolis, uh, we are cool enough to have a thing called Drake Night, where it's named after Drake, the rapper and R&B artist. And so it's just a <laughs> club night, a dance night, where you go dancing, and then for three hours they play nothing but Drake songs, which doesn't actually... That's amazing. Yeah, it's amazing anyways, like as a fan, but sometimes, you know, you don't want to listen to the same artist over and over again. But the brilliance mm -hmm. of Drake is that he's featured on every prominent rap artist Ooh, songs yes. so i so mean true. Nicki minaj i mean the yep. list goes for example you know so rihanna there's yep and so on and so forth but that's not the point of my story the point of my story is that usually i go to like queer dance nights where mm -hmm. for those of you who don't go to queer dance nights or aren't you know don't have the privilege of having that space it's a uh, the space is just different. Like people don't just go up to you and start dancing with you. It's there's just a, 
a lot less non-consensual dancing going on. Uh, nobody assumes you're there to pick them up and all this stuff. And of course, well, I could go on about queer spaces, but I'll just leave it at that. So I was in a straight club space, which I'm usually not in. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. there was, and I was with a person who's like 10 years younger than me. So, you know, she kind of fit more of the demographic that was there. And it got to the point where I was just, like, elbowing dudes out of the way. Like, (laughs) it was, like, super fun, kind of, because I knew what I was getting myself into, you know? Um, And there was, like, a few attractive people out there, but most of them were just, like, drunk and just, you know, just, it's amazing. You just stand there, and then they just, like, come up to you like you're magnets, you know? Right. Um, Right. Yep. And so my favorite part was this one woman came up to us, and she said, can I dance with you because guys keep grabbing my ass? And oh, yeah. I know it's just never mind how awful this situation is that right. women are put in every time we want to go out dancing in a straight ish space. And so she danced with us and then sure as shit dudes would just come over and I would just elbow them out of the way again and just like slide in. And they didn't of course mess with me at all. So it's so amazing that like as quick as they come over, they just ricochet back. If you make any kind of, I don't think so movement. Yep. So it was just amazing to be in a space with a lot of 23 year olds and kind of like, Take on like, go ahead. No, 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 like feminist superhero. Uh, yeah, I love that position. Oh, oh, but yep. only when the women said, "I don't want this." I didn't just do it to all women that were there, right? right? Like, right. Me and my yeah. friend had a code system. We, you know, we, we had hand gestures to note whether we wanted yeah. attention or not. And then this woman clearly said, "I don't want to be around men anymore. Please, yeah, dance with me." So, right, right. Yeah, that's, um, that is, that's so unfortunate, and I, I guess I feel grateful. I can't remember the last time I went to, like, a straight dance party. I mean, I guess my friend, my friend Cassidy does a dance party here. Shout out, Cassidy, to Shameless. She has this night called Shameless, and it's not, like, specifically queer, but it's, um, tends to be mostly, maybe not mostly queer people, but a lot of queer people, so it ends up not feeling like, like that, and I haven't been, um danced on like that in years thankfully um so yeah that would be a that would be a weird a weird space to navigate but yay for your elbowing skills it was awesome and yay for uh zumba also because (laughs) zumba have you ever taken a zumba class rachel yeah i'm terrible at it but yes i have okay it's so the, the the one thing I love about Zumba is that there's a lot of like hip shaking moves and booty moves, yep. you know, yep. so you just like stick your butt out and shake it and they like encourage you to do that. And it's yeah. just so nice as a woman to be in this <laughs> space where I can just shake my booty and yep. like no one's looking at it, you know, like we're yep. all just shaking our booties and it just feels right. so good to have that like little like yeah. sexiness in a gym class, but also just in general and then not have to worry about totally, you know, the like magnets totally. coming over. Yeah, no, I agree. And um, yeah, it's definitely different in our in our yoga sculpt classes. But when I was talking last week about like how we just sort of spontaneously dance to uh, to Dejloaf, like it's a similar thing. Like, and there are guys in the class, but like honestly, for the most part, it feels like a really surprisingly maybe like a really safe space to do that because it's mostly women and we're all just like sweating and working out and it's good 
Yeah, I wish I was good at Zumba, though, but I'm, like, so not coordinated in that way. Like, even a little bit. I saw this video of, it was, like, a viral video of a woman in Zumba, like, basically doing everything opposite. Like, the you know, she would step left, and they would all be stepping right. And it was just this, and I was like, literally, that's me. Like, that is me. Like, I can't, I'm bad at it. Um, and the only reason anyway. I can pull it off is because of my, I used to be a dancer when I was young. You know, yeah. tap, ballet, no, no, jazz. You're, you're a, really good dancer yeah and you and you're coordinated yeah for sure so I'm used I'm used to like following dance moves so right right totally anyways so that's that's the most exciting thing that's happened in my life how are you uh I'm okay it's been it's been a relatively uneventful week it's um officially spring break so I had my last class on Tuesday and uh yeah Tuesday well we should talk about we'll we'll have surely several episodes many episodes dedicated to um pedagogy and navigating situations but I had a kind of a rough day in my social justice class talking about immigration but we'll save that for another time Mm. um and uh, yeah it was not it was not good but we got through it um but Thursday uh was St. Patrick's Day which I didn't really care about at all but um it was also the first day of the Eastern Sociolog- Sociologists Association Conference. I forget the full name of it because I'm not a sociologist, but um, it meant that two of uh, my academic friends, one from Minnesota, Madison, hi Madison, and one from DePaul, my friend Jay, they were both in town, so I got to see them. Um, and just have a drink with them. And that was really nice just to, it, it was one of those moments when it's like academia is really rough on us in a lot of ways, but sometimes it means you end up with random people from your past in one place and you get to share space and talk about your projects and your research and your life and have camaraderie and empathy. And it was, it was really lovely to share space with them. So that was a highlight of my week. Cool. I'll say yeah. hi to Madison, too. I just talked to Madison last week about their research. Cool, cool, yeah. So, um, doing cool stuff on fast fashion retail. Yeah, yeah, just it amazing. is. It's a cool project. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. I learned that that term from her, fast fashion retail. Yeah, yeah. And organizing around it, so that's yep. rad. Hi, Madison. Yeah, totally. Maybe we can interview her sometime. Oh, that'd be podcast. awesome. Yeah. That'd be awesome. All right. Um, sweet. Is that it from our, from our, for our intro discussion, our check-ins? Yeah, I don't have anything else to check in about except for being a feminist killjoy, which I guess is exactly what I was doing at the club. It's true. You were being um, a feminist killjoy. I mean, I guess my, some of my students in the class that didn't go well would probably say the same thing. So, oh my God. Um, same with so mine. So good transition. <laughs> um, yeah. Lord, Lord. Uh, yeah, no, I think, I think this is good. Short intro so we can talk at length about what we, why we decided to name our podcast this, what it means to us. Um, so yeah, wow, Mel, you dropped, for listeners who aren't looking what I'm looking at, Mel usually does sort of like a, a note sheet before our episodes and she just has, what is feminism? That's a big question. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, we can kind of assume our listeners... No, but not all of our listeners are beyond feminism, probably one of, you know what I mean? Like, we shouldn't assume. Yeah, or, and certainly I don't think necessarily all of our listeners would identify as feminists. I mean, I think I have some That's people true. in my life that, like, 
like me and want to support me and listen to the podcast. Hi, all of you who I'm talking about, but wouldn't necessarily call themselves feminists. Yeah. So um, I think we should talk it a little bit. Speaking of which, I just need to share this really quick story about my father. Um, he was, uh, when we graduated, uh, Rachel and I are from the same program. You minored in critical feminist studies too, correct? Yeah. Okay. So my dad was like putting together a letter or something he was going to send out to his family. And he wrote, I was like, he's like, what is it? I'm like, critical feminist studies. And he was like typing in feminist. And he said, (laughs) it's, that's not a word because on Microsoft (laughs) word, it came up as like, not a word. Like he's like femininity, femininity. I was like, no dad, feminist, feminist. And he's like, it's not a word. I'm like, yes, it is. (laughs) Wow. That's so funny. Also, he was just uh, probably giving me crap because his humor is like that where he um, tries. Yeah, that is a jokester. Oh, my God. He knows that I'm a feminist (laughs) killjoy. So he just like tries to pull. Anyways, just reminding me of like people who wouldn't maybe identify as feminist. It's like, ah, my dad telling me feminism wasn't a word. It was brilliant. It was a brilliant joke. That's great. So I would identify or I would the way that I define feminism is the equality of men and women right isn't that the standard definition i mean uh, that's a definition um i tend to reject that definition a little bit because i don't think it's inclusive first of all it reasserts the gender binary which i don't support um i'm not i'm not trying to say it's wrong or bad I just I like I I I feel hesitant to embrace that as my definition of feminism and I think um I guess I think for me feminism there's um there are so many different approaches to it it feels important to me to like specify my feminism and in some ways a lot of times if I say if I'm going to be calling myself a feminist it's usually um preceded by the word Marxist, um, like my, you know, being a Marxist feminist feels like specifically important to me because it means that my feminism comes from like an economic analysis. Um, Mm. but I also sometimes will say intersectional feminists. I know there's been some, um, debate about the use of that term. Um, uh, our colleague in feminist activism and thinking, um, LaCrista Greco, who, Melody, you don't know her in real life, but she's somebody I know in real life and respect a lot and has, um, she has a site called Guerrilla Feminism that used to use intersectional feminist as a tagline and then they changed it because um, some some people say that you shouldn't use intersectional unless you're a black woman because that's who it was made for. Mm, um, mm-hmm. So I think that's, you know, there's some truth to that, but I've also heard Kimberly Crenshaw say that it's great that it's being used outside of that. Um, and it feels like a really powerful tool to describe what I mean when I talk about feminism. Cause for me, it's not just about the equality between men and women. It's about a tool to fight like a theoretical and activist tool to fight all forms of oppression. And talking about the patriarchy is, is like a big part of, of feminism for me. And, but so is talking about economics and race and disability and citizenship and all those things. And I should add in that 
the definition that I started with is not necessarily de the definition I would use, but that it's the definition that is often brought up to get people to understand what feminism is. As in, like, it's just about the equality of all people. Therefore, if you don't believe... So if you believe in the equality of all people, then you can be considered a feminist or, like, have feminist ideas. Because people run totally. away from... One of the issues of feminism that we're still dealing with is people run away from the term. You know, so if you're trying to get people to care about your cause or some analysis that we're doing... Um, and they hear the word feminist, they want to run. But then if we remind yep. them like, oh, it, it, all feminism is, is it's just about the equality of all people, you know, um, that you can't really argue with that then. It's not, I, oh, you know. So anyways, that's why I started with yep. that very simplistic, problematic I agree with you. definition. I agree with you. Right. I agree with you 100% that I probably just isolate, you know, you invite, you like viewers heard you say that or listeners heard you say that and they were like, great. And then I started talking and they were like, ugh, I'm turned off again. So like, I 100% understand that it's like strategic to use that definition. I just, it like makes me cringe. Like, it's just like a definition that makes me cringe because it's like for me. Because it's, it's man so and woman? Than... Oh, but what if I just say yeah. equality of all people? I changed it. Equality yeah, yes, of all people. But like even equality, I mean. Equity. Equality is. Equity of all people. <laughs> Liber liberation. Liberation. The liberation of all people. That I can get down with. Uh, it's too... I know. It's too it's, righteous. It turns, it, it turns people off, but that's just... I think we can have a teaching definition and a yeah, personal I definition. That, yeah, I don't say that you in know? class. If, I, if I'm talking about... If I'm defining feminism in, feminism in class... Well, I don't know. Actually, we start, I, I hit him, I hit him pretty hard. I mean, we talk about, I introduced the idea of patri patriarchy, white supremacy, capitalism as like fundamental foundations of our society and that f the feminist theories we're reading about are going to be working in opposition to those things. And I just, and the way that I try to get around that is that when I say patriarchy, I'm not talking about evil men. When I say um, white supremacy, I'm not talking about evil white people. Like these, it's not about like bad people. It's about legacies of systemic, um, disenfranchisement and oppression and violence that our, that our society is built on and that we just have to accept that that's the foundation of our society and that's just what it is. And so feminism is working to resist those, those forces. So, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that's, no, that, that makes total uh, sense. And I think I come at it from more of a... So you're talking, obviously, about systemic inequalities. Um, and I, I'm i more interested in kind of the everyday inequalities or inequities that people face. Um, mm -hmm. And like I was just talking today earlier um, with somebody about uh, moms, like stay-at-home moms, and how they feel mm -hmm. really betrayed by feminism because there's been this mm -hmm. idea that, you know, feminism is all about, you know, the equality of, of men and women. Let's just take that binary for a moment. And so it's like, okay, well then I'm supposed to be at the workplace all day from nine to five, and I guess I'm just supposed to put my kids in daycare even though I don't want to, but for the premise of feminism you know that's what I'm supposed to be but I don't want to be that so then I'm not a feminist because I don't want to participate in that world you know I want to be a stay-at-home mom and you and they feel like 
you know, feminism is shaming me for that choice. And that's just an unfortunate, like, understanding of feminism that has been cycled down, right? Because we're fighting for women to have access to all sorts of jobs, you know? Absolutely. And that's why, that's why making feminism intersectional is so important because when you're talking, I mean, even the term stay at home mom, like, um, I might actually, my mom actually used this phrase the other day and I was like, that's such a great way to put it. She was asking a a mother, she said, I I can't remember. Do you, do you work outside the home right now? So suggesting Mm. that of course you work, you Mm. just happen to work inside of a home. (laughs) Like, of course you work. You're doing so much labor every day being a mother and like caring for children that capitalism just wants you to raise so they can eat up and make workers out of. It's about, it's for me, it's about labor. And so like, of course we want to support working mothers who work inside the home. Like, of course we want to do that as feminists, but I think you're right. And this is why like it, it not, I'm sure neither of us are surprised that people are resistant to feminism because there's so many different manifestations of it. It, you know, it could mean that you're, Hillary Clinton and you think all women should go to work. I mean, I actually don't think Hillary Clinton thinks that, but you know, this sort of like yeah. 1980s power suit feminism, Yeah, it could be Taylor Swift because you have a squad and you love your girls. It could be, you know, the scary radical activist feminist like me, who's like, you know, constantly trying to talk to you about capitalism. Um, you know, there's all these different, there's all these different versions of it, which is, I know why it's tempting to want to just be like, it just means that you think everybody's equal and it's like, okay, yeah, okay. We can, we can start there, I guess. But like, it's, I, it's so important. Cause also, cause you know, Sarah Palin was a version of feminism and like, that's not okay. Like Sarah Palin was not yeah. supporting the cause of, you know, justice at all. Um, and so we, you know, that's, that's, but she was equal to her, you know, her in theory on paper, she was equal to her male counterparts, but she certainly isn't, that's not my feminism. You know what I mean? That is really true. And it goes back to what we were talking about in our first episode about the pro-life club at my school using feminists Mm -hmm. for life, um, Mm -hmm. as a supporting organization. And I have a really hard time. Um, understanding how people who are pro-life can also be mm-hmm. feminist, but yeah, it's exactly, just a, exactly uh, an issue for me. And you brought up uh, the angry activisty feminist, which I will also identify mm-hmm. as. And, mm-hmm. But I, you know, honestly, talking to my young female students, that is the thing that they're afraid of identifying with. Yeah. You know, absolutely. and that's why absolutely. that's hence why we call this we'll get into the killjoy section of it. But they don't want to, if they come home and they say, I'm a feminist, and then their brothers roll their eyes and think, Oh my god. Or they don't just... get boyfriends, heaven forbid. That's yes. what I feel like the fear is comes oh, from most. Oh, right, right, right. Oh, I mean, definitely. I think they're afraid of not of not and I don't want to suggest like it's I don't want to be like Gloria Steinem who says that women who support Bernie do it to get guys. Like, I'm not trying to say. She said that. <laughs> she, oh, you didn't hear that? No. Yeah. She said the reason that young women support Bernie Sanders is because they want to get boyfriends. And I was just like barfing all over. That is so not true. I understand. I mean. It's so, it's so, it's, it's, it's super insulting. So I didn't mean to just say a similar thing at all, but yeah, yeah. I, I don't see anything wrong with wanting to, you know, like it's fine to want relationships and it's fine to acknowledge that, 
there's going to be a lot of guys that are going to be turned off if you're like ranting about feminism all the, and, and, you know, injustice all the time. Um, but yeah, I think it's, uh, this is another reason it feels like so important to me that like, uh, I don't, I don't know. Should we, I mean, should we officially transition into Killjoy? Is like, should we, should we, is this sort of where we're yeah, I guess, because I think um, Sarah Ahmed, giant big shout out to Sarah Ahmed, because she had, she's talked a lot in her, she's an academic, for those of you who don't know, um, and she's written a lot about this concept of the fe- of the feminist killjoy, um, and she has a blog by the same name as well, and so we're riffing off of her influence for our podcast, but yeah. she has this amazing quote about what a feminist killjoy is. And so I just want to read it. Um, and so, and I think this is a good working definition for like who we are and what we do on this podcast. But, uh, what the feminist killjoy does is, um, spoils the happiness of others. She is a spoil sport because she refuses to convene to assemble or to meet up over happiness in the thick societal of everyday spaces feminists are thus attributed as the origin of the bad feeling as the ones who ruin the atmosphere that was a lot of academic writing but basically like we're a spoil sport and that we ruin spaces and so when i started today saying oh i went to the club and i pushed all these dudes out of the way and i you know i could have gotten more aggressive with them you know and talked to them that's just yep. being a killjoy because I'm ruining the happiness of the space by reminding people about sexual harassment and non-consensual right. touching. Right. Um, and so this is like, it's often a slanderous word used against feminists, like to be a killjoy or a spoil sport or to ruin the moment. I've experienced it all the time in my life. Um, and so by reclaiming this term, you know, it kind of, we're hoping to change the meaning a little bit about what being a killjoy means it's not it's not in the negative but that's how it's theorized yeah yep um yeah totally and i think uh you know this is what is i think interesting about ahmed's idea about like what does it mean to to just live in like a happy space all the time you know it means that you're never confronting notions of injustice and that is a privilege to only to people who don't experience like injustices on a daily basis. So like, I'm sorry that I teach my students stuff about media. That means they can never enjoy an episode of, uh, I don't know what the some bachelor, TV sh- the, the bachelor again, without being like, Oh yeah, that was, they were super racist to that black contestant or, Oh yeah, this is like the hegemony of marriage. That, right. Exactly. <sighs> Um, and that said, I watched The Bachelor, I just started, for the first time ever, I watched The Bachelor this year, um, for both pleasure and media critique. Like, you know, it's, I think there's this, um, notion that if you're a feminist, you're just, like, constantly angry all the time, and, like, that that's, that's all it, that's all it is, and, um... I don't know. I mean, what do you think? What do you think about that? Do you like, what do you think about watching things for pleasure and criticism? Um, I do that as well, but I honestly, at this point in my life, 
uh, tune most of it out. Like, I just can't anymore. The only times, like, I watch the Oscars and the Golden Globes, but that's just because I teach intro to mass comm. And so I want to be right. on the up about significant performances and significant speeches kind of right. in real time. Um, yep. I've gotten really far away from it. Like, um, I will say... I use the Bechdel test to the nth degree and I just don't go see yeah. movies anymore if they don't have, you know, prominent women characters. Um, yep. And I kind of do the same thing with people of color as well. Like I'm just done watching stuff about white dudes. I'm, yeah. I'm just done. It's, I don't need to, I feel way more nourished and more like, I just feel better watching stuff that isn't centered around white guys lives. And so, mm-hmm. That's what I'm going to watch there. You know, I've spent yeah. my whole life doing it. I don't need to watch them anymore. I'd rather learn about different people and their experiences. So, yeah. And with, yeah. with media convergence, the way it is with Netflix and everything now, we have so much access to so many different types of media. It's just, there's not really a need for me to continue to watch the status quo mainstream totally. TV. Rant totally. completed. <laughs> No, but Mel, I think that's so interesting because we, I think both of us and possibly, you know, it's, this is so interesting, I think, because you sometimes, I think, come off more outwardly angry consistently. And then... <laughs> Hell yeah. <laughs> I mean... <laughs> yes, that's fine. <laughs> but, I, yes. but like when I open my mouth to say something, like I'm the one who's like, kind of saying the angrier thing. I just oh, totally. Uh-huh. Seem it as, like, you know what I mean? Which is interesting. Just, it's just like kind of our, our affect and our personality, like how we come across where I'm like, burn it to the fucking ground. And you're like, be nicer in this space, but I'm going to like say it like loudly and aggressively kind of, I don't know. Like, you know, do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so like how, how we perform our killjoyness. And then what you were just saying about not wanting to engage with media that, basically you're describing media that would upset you. And so you're actually choosing to not participate in something that would anger you. And I think I would agree, honestly. And I think we're both, we don't need to talk at length about this. This is a whole nother episode, but like our, like both of our personal journeys in terms of like self care and getting into yoga, like yoga is like the antithesis of, you know, it's not like you're supposed to pretend you're not angry. And I mean, I think yoga is actually about confronting your feelings very much, but like, it's about cultivating a sense of peace, you know, amidst, amidst all this stuff. And so like, you know, we're, we're multifaceted individuals. And just because we're angry about injustice and profess that in different ways, doesn't mean that we're also not like really invested in like, um, not being angry 24 seven, you know what I mean? Yes, because I'm angry a lot, but I think there's also a difference to be made about being angry versus being judgmental, you know? Yeah. So I can be, and I say this because um, I am angry a lot. I mean, there's just lots to be (laughs) angry Mm -hmm. about in terms of race relations in this country. I mean, just, I could, everything. I, I could just be angry all the time. Um, but that doesn't mean that I'm necessarily like judgmental towards people that might not have my viewpoint. And I didn't actually, I always thought I was a really judgmental person, but over the last couple years, 
people have like said that I'm not very judgmental and I'm like really confused by that. But I think I've understood like anger and judgmentalness is different. And I only bring mm-hmm. it up because my, my uh, yoga teacher, he said that to me one day and I was like, are you interesting? And I was like, hello, like, are you in the same reality <laughs> as me? And he knows me pretty well. I was like, yeah, I'm really judgy. Like I do judge people. Like I, there was these people once that came to yoga driving a Hummer and I was like <laughs> judging the crap out of them, you know, yeah. but maybe just in my head. But I just like, right. okay. <laughs> so I come off as an angry, accepting person, perhaps. In the, yeah. But um, it's a, yeah, even my mother said that, that I'm not judgmental. Inter- interesting, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Okay. I mean, I would say. I'm angry. I've... Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I would say anger is the more is the more prominent emotion that I would feel that for me than, than judgment necessarily. Yeah, because I think there's like there is an important distinction and I think what it comes down to is that like being fucking angry makes sense when you live in a world where, you know, you hear about black men dying in the news every day and you hear about women being sexually assaulted, like or or you see it. You see women yeah. or you are the victim of yourself of like if you are not there's some you know this is like a bumper sticker like if you're not angry you're not paying attention and like honestly that's that's true um and and it also means that if you're not angry that you like i said earlier have the luxury to to not be angry um that you have some sort of level of of privilege that you don't experience racism on a daily basis or you don't experience the struggle of economic oppression on a daily basis etc etc um but also to sort of tangent a little bit, Mel, I think it's also a privilege for us to be angry, um, particularly as, as white women, right? Like we get to be, we get to be angry and, and still have jobs, you know, and right. we, we get to be angry and still, I mean, I think certainly there are some, some of my students that, and, and this is the other thing about why we should have a lot of episodes about teaching, because I don't, think I come off as angry when I'm teaching. You know what I mean? I try mm-hmm. to present things like, here is what the author is saying about white supremacy. Like, let's discuss it. And for better or worse, I I actually try not to emote that explicitly when I'm in classes. That doesn't always work. That's part of the reason why my class on this past week about immigration was tough. But mm-hmm. um, I but do you know do you know what I mean? Like we we so I guess there's two things I said there. One, it's a privilege for us to be allowed to be angry, and I think it helps that we're white because I think that obviously the history of the stereotype of the quote unquote angry black woman is something that yeah. is you know harms harms women of co- women of color, black women black women in particular, um, and two that you know, you can talk about, you can channel your anger, um, in, in ways that don't always come off as angry, but where you can, you can also just be talking about injustice in, you know, do you know what I mean? I do. I do. And that, yeah, it's interesting that the anger is, is privileged. Cause I was, I was starting to think about how, cause I get angry on behalf of a lot of people too, you know, right. a lot of the right. injustices are not mine. Right. And so it's right. like, turning on the news and like for oh for example 
um, the privilege is perfectly illustrated by, I was, uh, I think it was, unfortunately there's been so many people that have been killed by the police, um, that I cannot remember. So let's just say Eric Gardner, cause he was on the news, you know, that was on mm-hmm. the news a lot. Mm-hmm. And I remember I was over for a family holiday dinner and when, and of course they're like playing it on the cable news is like the spectacle, which I can't stand anyways. I think it's just totally mm-hmm. disturbing. But, um, my, one of my brothers was like, Oh, I'm so sick of hearing about this. You know, jeez, oh, yeah. And I was like, yeah, that that wouldn't, you know, that's what a middle class white family would say, you know. Right. And of course, right. you know, I engage him in a conversation about why it's really important. But he we have the privilege to just think it's annoying that it's on the TV right. again and, and turn it off. Right. Because when right. he Rather leaves than going to several funerals a week. Right. Because when he walks out yeah. the door in his suburb and walks around, he'll be fine. Right. He doesn't actually right. have to fear these things. So. Right. Um, right. And I, I and I get to be angry about this stuff, too, at a total dif- at a distance as well. You know. Yeah. The yeah. anger is is just mine that I've cultivated. <laughs> I don't you know, yeah. it's not very often that I because I live in a bubble. I've created a bubble for myself that I do interact with people that create anger. You know, I. Right. I cultivate right. the anger. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um. I mean, yeah, certainly I get, um, I don't know, this is something that, I mean, I'll, I'll have to think through this more, so this might not be a totally formulated thought, but I think maybe I have, in as I've gotten older, my anger, I actually tend to get, the emotion of anger comes up more when it is something that affects me personally, and the emotion of, like, deep sadness comes up more when it's about things that don't personally affect me. I don't know. I'm just, I'm trying to think through like, like economic stuff and the way I see, you know, the position my mom's been in at certain points and the position, honestly, that, I, that I'm in kind of, kind of currently with the economic situation in academia and not being tenure track and all these things. Like I get really angry about that stuff. Um, and I get, obviously I get incredibly angry about the way racism is manifests itself in our country. But I also feel probably on, on a usually just like deeply fucking sad. And, and I think that there might be some, there might be something to like, for me that anger gets cultivated more when I'm impacted personally. I don't know. I'll think through that more, but that does make me want to transition into something I wanted to talk to you about in terms of activism and emotion and anger in particular. Um, I teach, this piece by Deborah Gould about the uses of anger in AIDS activism. And um, when I taught it to my students, we talk about Black Lives Matter um, in relation to it. And just this idea of what do you do with anger about something that's impacting you personally, like when an entire community is being impacted by disproportionate killings of, you know, of the, the men and, and women as well in their, and, um, in their communities. Um, what do you do with that anger and what does it mean to respond in a protest or a riot or some sort of direct action in an angry way, you know? So I don't know, I I would just be interested, especially since you've done so much, um, work with Black Lives Matter in Minneapolis, like if you wanted to speak to the uses of anger in Black Lives Matter stuff. Well, as a white person, I'd love to talk about Black Lives Matter and speak right, for them. Yeah. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. I, I, I'm <laughs> her ally. 
And honestly, we should do an episode about being white women that talk about race all the fucking time, too, because I'm sure not everybody's down with us oh, taking yeah. up space about that. So we should talk about that, too. But as you're from your perspective as an ally, accomplice, somebody in operative solidarity, whatever you want to say, um, I don't know, just I mean, or, or not, maybe you don't feel comfortable responding to that, just maybe in general, anger and activism. I think that, uh, unfortunately, and I see a lot of this, I get to see this interestingly through my students' viewpoint, which are very diverse. So some of my students say Black Lives Matter, some of them say All Lives Matter. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've actively taught or, you know, created discussions around the protests when they happen here locally and then nationally. And I think to answer your question, I think that the role of direct actions and protests and, you know, we occupied the fourth precinct, the police station up here where Jamar Clark was killed by Mm -hmm. police. Um, And I think those spaces are really important to, like, release the anger, you know, to Mm -hmm. to yell and shout and be with other people and be angry. So then people can we can move on and do real organize, you know, that is real organizing, but do further organizing um once the you know the anger is always with us but it's that first like kind of release of anger and it's important Mm -hmm. to be with other people usually when you're angry you know you think about being home by yourself slamming things against the wall or whatever you know a very solid solitude kind of emotion and so right i think it's important to be with other people when angry and that's why these things kind of they happen very fast that's why the first thing that we do is not do neighborhood organizing we like go all meet up and go protest, you know, and take yeah. over a freeway or, or a precinct. Um, but, you know, the, the unfortunate thing is that is what's seen then by the public or people who aren't at these protests is this anger, right? This this reflection of anger in the streets. And then they judge the whole movement or the whole argument based on this anger, um, which ends up being kind of a... Uh, not the best way to see the movement, right? Because Black Lives Matter does so much more than protest in the streets and block traffic, you know? That's how people got attention. But there's so much more going on behind the scenes. Like, for example, I don't know if you heard this, Rachel, but in Minneapolis, there's not going to be any more grand juries. I heard that, For yeah. police killings. Amazing. And that's yeah. because of Black Lives Matter. <laughs> that's because, right. like, all this right. behind the scenes work that they did yep. that... Yep. I'm not even privy to, obviously, you know, they had the community call in, we called in, we asked, or we demanded that, you know, they don't have a grand jury for Jamar Clark, but then all of a sudden it was like, no grand juries at all anymore for police killings. But of course, that's not what we're talking about. You know, that's not what my students are talking about. They're like, oh, it's the angry people on the street again. I gotta get home. Yeah. You know, and so... the anger gets gets misread, and it's just unfortunate. But I don't know if that answered your question, but that's what I thought. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, and it brings up um, – I mean, I hear very similar things from my students. I mean, I'm teaching the social justice class now. I taught a rhetoric of social change class last last year, and we talked a lot about this. I mean, I you know, like I said, I taught that AIDS article, and we talked about Black Lives Matter, and the vast majority of my students – say, you know, this angry, militant approach to creating change is not the right way. And I just like, 
I don't think the solution is that protesters should be nicer or practice this like respectability politics. Like that is not the answer. Um, part of that militant, angry, direct action that's been happening since since the history of people creating change in our nation, yeah. starting with fucking Harriet Tubman burning down slave plantations in anger, <laughs> like, you know, slavery would not have been abolished without anger, without militants, without violence. Civil rights wouldn't have happened without anger, without militants, without violence. The eight-hour workday and the labor rights movement would not have happened without anger, without militants, without violence. And, you know, whether whether it's because when you have people like Malcolm X and the Black Panthers that make Martin Luther King seem more palatable and, mm -hmm. like, you push people further left without going to the extreme, whether it's, like, a strategic method like that or whether it's, like, forcing society to accept that they have something to be that angry about. And that's, like, the only way that I've gotten through to my students when I said, what if we described this violent quote-unquote violence and militancy that the black panthers practice what if we describe that as self-defense because the black panther party is actually their full title is the black panther party for self-defense like but nobody says that <laughs> like nobody says that in the you know when they're talking about them but they describe themselves as a self-defense party and so what how what how does that change our understanding of anger and this reaction of anger when we think about it as a reaction rather than a uh, and you know, being on the defense rather than the offense. Um, I don't know. Maybe I, maybe we got totally off subject here. But does that? I mean, that's just some of my thoughts on that. I guess on anger and the uses of anger. There's a great Audre Lord poem or speech about the uses of anger. We should post it. We'll post it on the blog. No, it totally makes sense because I think uh, instead of understanding our feminist anger as something that we need to control or strategize with or, you know, only pull out when necessary or in certain spaces that your point is that anger has been used historically to make, you know, major social change. And that if mm -hmm. that being an angry person about social justice shouldn't be seen as a negative, but as a positive towards social change and one one yeah. tenant of moving society forward. Right. Um, but again, this anger is specific. It's our anger because you could flip it and say, well, Donald Trump's really angry. You know, angry is very yeah. anger is very powerful and it is moving a whole other subset of people, too. Absolutely. Um, but look how powerful that is. Look right. how powerful his anger about, you know, immigrants and uh, everything else he rants about. You Ugh. know, that's it, it's a, it's proving exactly what we're discussing, but it's just working on the other side you know can i um can i bring up what i read because this week the thing i read because it is about anger and uh yeah of course black activism so i read this there's if you got to look for them and sometimes they get passed around depending on what your social social circle is but there's been people of color that have been going to trump rallies not necessarily not to start anything just to go and observe and attend and I've and I read one today it was very long. Um, so this is like the thing that I read this week or what I'm reading because I don't read a whole book in a week. And this is the most interesting thing I, thing I read. But anyways, what I'm getting out of these personal accounts is that it's actually worse. What's going what he's saying is way worse than what the media 
is portraying. That oh yeah. That not only what he's saying, but what the crowd is saying back to him and mm, what they're saying yeah. to other people of color. You know, yeah, that they I, immediately I see them and they point them out as, you know, protesters, even though he wasn't. He was just there to observe and just vitriol at them continually. Mm-hmm. And it is scary. I mean, and these yeah. rallies are huge. And, you know, right. th- there was this other quote that went around the Internet about... um I think it was something like white privilege is having to wait until Donald Trump comes out to realize how racist this country is, you know? Yeah. So I'll own that. Well, I mean, I knew it was bad, but I'm going to say I did not know it was this bad, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. Because I'm not a person of color. And so all I can know is when I hear other people's accounts. Right. 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 Yep. I did not know it was this bad, you know? Um, Yeah. He's, he's really scary and it's, uh, yeah, it's just really sad. And uh, anyway, so if you can get your hands on personal accounts by people of color, I would read them in detail because uh, apparently it's it's a lot worse than the media is portraying. So yeah, yeah. Um, Powered all those yeah, people that went. Yeah, totally. Oof. Totally. I mean, yeah. I mean, like literally putting themselves in like serious danger, uh, risk. I mean, serious danger. Yeah, emotional, yeah. mental, physical. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Um, for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, how are we doing on time? Do you have our time clock on the call recorder? You should tell us what book you're reading or what you're reading. Oh, okay. Oh man, we're already there. Okay. Yep. So much else I wanted to say about Killjoy stuff. Well, guess okay. what? We own this podcast and we can just like do it. <laughs> so, so we can return to it again. Yeah. Um, well, can I just say one, like one ending thought on that before I get to what I'm reading? Yes, My ending, my ending comment is just that I think uh that you can be a feminist killjoy and also like on a daily basis be like one of the happiest great you know greatest happiest people to hang out with like I think that the real project of feminism means like organizing against injustice and sometimes that means you're going to be angry sometimes it means that if somebody says something racist you're going to fucking like ruin the dinner party and be like don't say that it's racist but it doesn't mean you're that you are this stereotype you know man-hating Harry, blah, 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 all the stupid stereotypes. And that when it comes down to it, like, it's about organizing for change and your interpersonal affects, you know, isn't, isn't as important. That's my, that's my sort of final two cents, I think. Um, can what I I'm add, reading, I also, wait, can I yes, add please. in a two cents to your two cents? Thank please. you. So I did want to bring up the who's ruining what, you know, Um, because this is also part of the feminist killjoy theory is that like, are we ruining, ruining it because somebody said something racist or sexist at the dinner party or are they the ones that are ruining it? You know, of course we get blamed. Everybody looks at us like, Oh, here Melody goes again. Got it. You know, my family's literally has said to me, we walk on eggshells around you. And and it hurt. I mean, that really hurt me because I don't want to be seen as that, you know, I'm really just trying to educate people. But also, I'm sorry, I can't. If you're going to say something disparaging about a black man in front of me, yeah, I'm probably going to lose it a little bit because, you know, it's really important. But why is that? It's not on us, right? It's on those people. But the power of the patriarchy and the power of white supremacy has made it so that we are the ones that are ruining things. Yeah, not I think that's a perfect, that is, that's the mic drop. I mean, and uh, thank you, Sarah Ahmed, because she really, yes. she really said that, but you, yes. you just re-articulated it very well. And um, I think that's the gr- a great way to, 
for now and our discussion about our title and what that means for sure. So yeah, chew on that, audience. Yeah. Chew on that. Take Who's that. Who's ruining what? <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, so what I'm reading, I also did not read a book this week. Still working through, still reading my Andrea Gibson at night, still working through Angela Davis. Um, but uh, I'm in a feminist book club here uh, that I wish I wish you could be in now because I think you'd like these gals. Um, but we read articles, we read a bunch of articles. There were, there was like this influx of articles about being, um, a single woman in your 30s, like being single in your 30s. And also what that means for, um, female friend, like your fr- friendships, um, yes. when you're, when you rely on friendships for things that other people you have in marriages, these articles were really heteronormative. So we had like a big discussion about that, but it was, um, they were, they were interesting and, and thought provoking and, and I think important, um, certainly as I, um, am in my thirties and, and like, you know, in a world that is shocked that I, I don't have babies and am not married. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so you're like the only one in meetings that doesn't have a wedding ring. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yes. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Um, our lives are horrible, Rachel. <laughs> I know. People must feel so bad for us. I oh. know. I'm going to just drink wine Um, and eat ice cream and cry myself to sleep. Yeah. So that was, so it was, it was, those were some good articles. We, I can post those as, as well on the, on the website. Music. Oh my God. I'm still listening to work by Rihanna. I haven't. It's so good. Did you love that video that I sent you? Which one? The one of the of the guy from Brazil, like fucking crushing that song in in the dance. You, I posted it on your. You posted yeah, the formation. I did dance. not watch it. Oh, you need to watch it. You need to watch it. I can't believe that you just made me admit to an audience that I didn't watch something that you sent me. <laughs> Most people don't have to do that publicly. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's okay. I I completely forgive you. Um, just please watch it because you're going to really like it. Got it. I oh, I was also listening um, Killjoy Moment, too. I was listening to, we have a new local hip-hop station that came out. Mm-hmm. And um, the song that we intro with, by the way, is by this hip-hop crew called Girl Party. And one of the people in Girl Party, Sophia, has a DJ night on this radio station. Anyways, it's called Ladies First. So I was like really excited because it's Sophia Aris girl party called Ladies First. I'm like, oh my God, it's going to be an hour of women hip hop. And then it totally wasn't. It was like half. Uh, oh. It was like Jay-Z. I was like, really? Like, yeah. why can't you just play? Why can't they play an hour worth of women on the radio? They never do. But yeah. I have to sit through an hour of men rapping at me about how they're going to ride women at 3.30 in the morning and Right. <sighs> right. Anyways, that's just a little killjoy moment. I also listened to that. But that's okay. I yeah, still love I have party. maybe, just... I wasn't sure what song I was going to pick, but I think your comment made me decide what I was going to pick. Okay. So do you know the, the internet, that performer? Yes, but I don't really listen. But tell me more. Okay. So they're, they they appear and I'm almost positive are a queer, um, black kind of soft butch presenting person, Mm -hmm. um, who's like a pretty sweet rapper. Um, but the lyrics are still kind of misogynist. Like she's talking of, or they're talking about, um, like their bitch who's like complaining like too much. And it's like, man, (laughs) 
like, you're so like you're so rad. You could be like talking about women in a way that's like better. And and I don't want to I don't want to shit talk. I don't want to shit talk. I sh- I don't I'm not I'm not trying. Well, here I go being a killjoy again. I guess, but um, it's a good song. It's called Getaway. The song I've been listening to on repeat. Um, but it it feels a little misogynist. Still, so so there's that. <laughs> Um, I'd Who's like ruining what, though? Really, is it you or is I know? Good question. Who's ruining what? That could be our tagline, though. I think that's going to be our what? new. I think it's going to be our new tagline. Yeah. Y'all are listening to marketing in action. So, indeed. Oh, <laughs> and so we wanted to close out today by uh, I wanted to educate everybody on a term that I think will be very helpful for you in your lives. Um, that, uh, is used in Minneapolis a lot. And, uh, so anyways, it's, it's WTF and it means it stands for women trans femme. And so in my bike world, for example, we'll have like WTF night. And so it's just for women trans femme. And it's, it's nice because like Rachel alluded to earlier, saying women or men is very non-inclusive. And so this, the WTF Identity is a lot more encompassing of all sorts of different gender identities and performances and spectrums and um, but still on the marginalized side. Right. So it's basically just leaving out cis men. Totally. Um, and so uh, I just wanted to to educate people. On cis that. masculine man. Cis masculine man. That masculine is really. Yes. Right. Because yes. femme, femme can totally include cis men. Oh, totally. Thank you very much for that um, added explanation or definer or something. Totally. Yes. Or, you know, or maybe, or maybe they don't identify as this, you know, we, we, but, but it potentially it couldn't, it could include them. So anyway, we're going to have to do, we're going to have to talk more about that. That's, you can educate the masses on that because um, there's a lot to say about identity, but totally. Anyways, totally. I just anyway. wanted to okay. teach you all about WTF because it's also awesome. Because it's super awesome. So we're gonna try. We're gonna attempt to say like at the same time, maybe. <laughs> uh, three, two, one, go. Is that how we can do it? Yes. Three. Okay. Two. Three, two. One. <laughs> WTF power. WTF power. And hopefully you all just thought of the Wayne's World moment like Mel and I surely did. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, we're going to go. WTF Power, goodbye. Bye.